0: we are so excited that you're here welcome man wasn't that just a an incredibly powerful time of worship wow like that was awesome that Wow, like, just we just go home right now. Have a good day. That was so good. Man, thank you so much for coming. If you're new, welcome. My name is Brian, and I'm the pastor. And at Pathway, our goal, what we are all about is this one main thing. It's simply this. We want to help you know God, because we believe when you know God, he changes everything in your life. We're not just saying know about him, but I mean really know him. And that's what we're all about. Everything that we do, top to bottom, is all about that. So thank you so much for being here on this. beautiful, awesome Easter Sunday. So exciting. Man, I am telling somebody earlier, uh, I'm so thankful we can be in person together this year. Like, my goodness, last Easter was painful for me. It was so bad. Like, like it was okay, but goodness I missed you like crazy and so man I'm just glad to be together so man you guys are looking good thanks for coming uh, it's so exciting if, if I could like sum up the entire Bible if I could sum up everything we just sang about if I could sum up what Easter means and what Jesus is and what sin like all of that stuff into just a few short verses like if you could just take all the Bible really and all of human human history and humanity and boil it down into one uh, a couple of sentences. Into one phrase, what would it be? And a lot of people might think of different things. And for me, it would be this. And that's what I just want to look at today and just kind of explore a little bit. It's in the New Testament of the Bible. The Bible has New and Old Testament, and uh, we encourage you to to check that out in the New Testament. You can follow along on our app, on your phone as well. The verses are there along with our notes, and you can make your own notes. Uh, But but in the New Testament, it's a book called Romans. Romans is, is like the powerhouse book. It's like the MVP book of the entire New Testament, really of the entire Bible, because it explains why Jesus had to die. And it's really powerful. And in Romans, it's, li- it's written by a guy named Paul who was a follower of Jesus, and he writes it to some Christians that live in, guess where, Rome. Like, it's just that simple. So he's writing to some Christians that live in Rome. It's a powerful book. But check out what he says in Romans chapter 5. We're just going to kind of go verse by verse. But Romans chapter 5, verse 12, he says this. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone. For everyone sinned. So he says this, look, he's been talking about a lot of different things, but he says, when Adam said, and the Adam he's talking about is the Adam that is mentioned in the very beginning of the Bible, in the very beginning of all creation. It's in Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible. It means beginning. But Genesis chapter 3, God creates the world. Everything is great. Everything looks awesome. And then God creates people. He creates Adam out of dust, and he creates Eve, Adam's wife, out of his rib. And, And God, it's a beautiful thing, and he puts them in a specific place called the Garden of Eden. And in Eden, it was like utopia. I mean, in Eden, there was no crime, no violence. It was There was no disease, no sickness. It was perfect. And God told Adam and Eve, you can do whatever you want. I created this garden just for you. I want you to take care of it. I want you to enjoy it. Do whatever you want. And so they're like, man, this is great. And God says, there's just one thing for your protection I don't want you to do. Don't eat of the, of the fruit of this one particular tree. And what do they do? They eat of the fruit of the one particular tree. And so then thousands of years later, this guy Paul writes, and he says, you know what? When that guy Adam took a bite of that fruit and his wife Eve did it, then sin entered the world. Now, what is sin? I don't know if you've ever asked that question. But the most simplistic basic definition of sin is simply this. It's this simple. It is any time you disobey God. Sin is not some theological thing or religious thing. It's that simple. Anytime we disobey God, it's sin. And so Adam and Eve sinned because God said not to eat the fruit for their good and protection, and yet they did it anyway. And as a result of that, sin entered the world. And it, and it perverted. It distorted. It's like allowing poison to come in. And from that moment on, the Bible makes it very clear. Every human being ever created, ever born, has been infected on birth with this poison of sin. You don't have to watch the headlines even of this past week to know this world is messed up. Like it's, and you can pass, and I, and I say this respect, you can pass all the laws you want. People are still messed up. Why? Because their hearts are perverted. They're polluted. It's, it's sin. I mean, it's just that simple. It's disobeying God. And it's affected everybody. So that's the problem. You know, I I I love being a dad. I told somebody last week that uh, truly for me, my family is my hobby. Uh, like I, I love to golf, I love to hunt, I love to fish, I love to be outdoors, and I enjoy those things. But really, my hobby—like if I had one—it's my family. And I'm not just saying that because I want you to be impressed with me. It really is. Like that's just the truth. I love my family. I love being around my kids. Now, being a a year cooped up with them is a bit much, right? But but I still love them, and 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 I love just being around them. And, we have a seven-year-old boy and a five-year-old girl, and uh, they're a lot of fun and a lot of heartache and pain, uh, kind of all mixed into one. And the thing that I love that's so interesting, my son now is, is kind of in the age where uh, he can uh, kind of push the envelope a little bit, not on purpose and not in a bad way. But when I'm like, hey, don't do this or don't do that, he comes back with, well, why? And he's not being mean. He's just, well, why can't I do that? Well, because it's for your good. I try to explain, like, for example, last week, uh, he wanted to buy, uh, a, like, a Lego because the kid loves Legos, and he's he going to buy a Lego. He saved up his money, had, like, 10 bucks, and we're like, okay, well, it's $10 plus tax. Well, what's tax? And so imagine trying to explain the tax system to a 7-year-old. It was it was really interesting. We got into some interesting subjects. And so and things like that, like, I try to explain to him, and, and when he gets in trouble, I tell him, don't do that. And they're like, why? Because I'm smarter than you. Like, just listen to me. And that's the thing. I, I just tell him, so now I get frustrated. Again, I am not a perfect dad. My kids are not perfect. Um, but, but I just, I get frustrated with him, and I'll just tell him at times, like, the quicker you learn, I am smarter than you, and I always will be smarter than you, the better your life's going to be, son. Like, I just tell him that, and he hasn't quite got that in yet. But, but it's true. Like, it's a fact. That's not me being arrogant. That's just a fact of life. That, that I have lived longer than he has. I know how to drive a car. He has no clue how it works. I just know more about things and about life than he does. And and therefore, for him to ever assume that he knows more than me is really arrogant on his part. And so it is with God. You understand that with God, for us to assume that we know more than God, why does this happen to me, God, and why did that not happen? And what about this and what about that? What you're kind of doing is assuming you know more than God, and really God is the one that created you. So he will always be smarter, he will always know more than you. The other thing that I love about being a parent I, I put guardrails for my kids, and, and you can think of it as dos and don'ts or rules or law, whatever, but I, I view it as they 're for my protection. I want the absolute best for my kids the absolute I want them to have better stuff than I the absolute best with that i 've got to have some guardrails to protect them, for example, a, a few Weeks ago, we were, my family and I went skiing, and uh, had a great time, and on our way to the mountains, if you've been in the mountains, you know that, that usually to get to the destination, you got to go over a mountain pass, and we went over this one mountain pass that was 10,000 feet up, and it was, you know, you know mountains, it was straight on one side mountain, and straight down by thousands of feet on the other side, in this narrow two-lane road, and it's windy, and on the side of the road where the mountain dropped off was a guardrail. Now, I could have said that guardrail's there and it's, and it's impending my freedom. It's impinging on my freedom and on my rights and this isn't right. Or I could say that guardrail is there to protect me and my family. That's like what I tell my kids. Like, look, like I put in guardrails in your life. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm not trying to be mean. I do it for your good because I love you, because I care about you. And here's the thing, so it is with God you can look at the Bible you can look at God as these rules and dos and don'ts that's not it at all. God is the one that created you and so God knows what is the absolute best for your life and so he puts in guardrails for your good and for your protection now here's the thing just like when my kids whenever uh, sometimes they they go off the guardrails right and they they make a mistake and and I get onto them and and here's the thing I'm not mad at them. Now, to be truthful, a lot of times I am. But for the, for the example here, I'm not mad at them. I'm not really disappointed. I'm just hurt. Why am I hurt? Because I love them. And I know that when you do something i my skin you not to do, it's not because I'm being mean. It's for your good. And I know that if you do that, it's going to hurt you really bad. And I know that when you do it, it's as if you don't trust me. That's why I'm hurt. I'm not disappointed. I'm not mad at you. Listen, some of you need to know that that when you sin or mess up in life, God is not mad at you. God is not disappointed in you. If anything, He's just hurt because He loves you. Because He put that guardrail in there for your good. And instead of pushing against it and making and arguing with Him and and, and getting everything upset, just say, "Man, God, I, that's for my good." God's not mad at you. He's not say it's for your good. Here's the other thing, that this is a true story. My my son, when he was about two, we had a gas fireplace in our home, and there was a metal screen on the front of this fireplace, and, and it was there for our protection. It was a guardrail, and I would tell him, and again, he was two, so I'll cut him some slack, but he was two, and, and he's stumbling around. He's walking, and, and I told him, don't go over to that fireplace. It will burn you. And yet, what does he do? He goes right over the fireplace, grabs the top part where there was this metal bar, and it, it was like putting, you know, a hot piece of meat on a grill. Like, tsh, you could just hear the skin searing to the top. In fact, the skin, part of the skin is still permanently burned in that house in another state. Like, there's still a piece of my son in this house. And instantly, like, his, his hand swelled up, and I was home alone uh, with him, watching him. My wife was at work, so that was a fun phone call. And, uh, like, everything's okay, but we're going to the hospital. But we had to take him to the burn unit because his hand immediately swelled up. It was it was really bad. It was really nasty. In fact, the, the, the uh, expert, the burn unit expert said his hand may never stretch out all the way with his fingers because when the skin grows back, it may graft back, and he may have, like, a permanent claw. It was that bad. Like, we got pictures. I'd show it to you today, but we're all going to eat afterwards, so I mean, it's gross, but, but amazingly now, there's no scar at all. Like, he can move his hand. He doesn't even remember it. He's fine, but here's the thing. Sometimes we think, like, why doesn't God give us, like, a three-strike rule, right? Like, I, why can't you just give me a three-strike rule and just say, okay, I told you once, so don't do it again. That's your warning, because just like my son in that fireplace, you don't need a three-strike rule to know when you touch it and it's hot, you get burned, that's what Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says about sin. That God doesn't need a three strike rule because when we sin, when we disobey, it is so damaging to us that the pain is felt immediately. It is immediately horrific. And let me say this as well. When you really know God, not just know about him, but I mean you know him personally on a daily active relationship basis, you then realize that God does in fact give second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth. He gives chance after chance after chance. That's a thing the Bible calls grace, that God could strike you down the first moment you sin, but he does it because of grace, because he loves you. That's what Romans 5 says. So here's the thing. To sum that up, it says, that anytime time we disobey, it equals death. De- th- disobey leads to death. And what do we mean by that? It says in Romans 5, 12 that, that death came in and sin. And what well, we mean when we disobey, it's death. That's why Easter we just sang about that death couldn't hold him. And we talk about the, the keys of death. And how, what does that really mean? Well, when Adam sinned, death separated his relationship with God. That it was, it was as if the real him on the inside died. The real you is dead when you don't know Jesus. And that's what he says. That before, Adam and God had this great relationship. And it was utopia. It was perfect. They could hang out all the time. And God put in this guardrail. And that's the one thing they went to do that they weren't supposed to. And the moment they disobeyed God, their relationship with God died. Ceased to exist. God could have written them off and be like, that's it, I'm done. There was... Punishment for that, because listen, if God doesn't punish when we disobey, then he's really not God, right? There has, I mean, if you don't punish when your kids do wrong, you're really not a good parent. You really don't care or love them. The punishment was death. Not necessarily a physical death, although that's part of it, a spiritual death. That's why what I love, being around new Christians, people that give their life to Jesus, and I believe that's going to be some of you today. Like, later you're going to be like, man, the the grass is greener today. The sky is bluer. I I feel better than I've ever felt. Why? Because the real you, your soul, has been dead, and now the Bible says when you give your life to Jesus, it becomes alive in Christ, and the real you becomes alive. It's kind of like this with my kids. You know, I, I... I tell them, like, all the time, hey, I want you to go outside. I want you to play. And we got this big yard. In fact, that's one of the reasons we bought this house. So you have this big yard to play. I mean, y'all can just run around, go crazy in this yard. Just one thing I ask you not to do, don't go play in the street. Why? Because I don't want you to get ran over by a car or get hit by a car. Now, they don't quite understand that. That's for their good. Like It's like you can focus on this big yard that you have, or you can focus on the one thing you're not supposed to do. And yet, what do kids do? They go like a beeline right for the street, and they're playing in the street, having fun. Like, people are honking at them. Like, I tell them that it's for your good. So it is with us. God says, you can do anything you want. Just don't do this one thing for your protection. And yet, what do we do? That one thing. It leads to death in a relationship with God. Here's the good news, though. Check this out in verses 15 and 16 of the same chapter. It says that, but there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and the gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin, for Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God even though we are guilty of many sins. Here's the thing, Jesus gives life. When we disobey or sin, it leads to death in a relationship with God. But the good news is, Romans 5 says, that Jesus gives us life. It's this free gift that Jesus gives. Now, maybe you're here today, and and this is like one of the few times you go to church, somebody invites you, and again, we are so glad you're here. We prepared and prayed just for you. But you're like, you know, Brian, I've been to some churches here and there, but I've never quite understand why Jesus like, I get it, he was a good moral teacher, he did some miracles, he's a good dude, but why is he so special? Because here's the thing, it's like this, Jesus is different, I could I could be here all afternoon telling you why, but just to hit some highlights, Jesus is different, because he's the only one that this sin never infected. He lived a perfect life, he never sinned. He was tempted to sin just like me and you, but he never gave in. Where we went wrong, he always went right. Where we disobeyed, he always obeyed. It would be like this, If, if you're in the middle of the ocean in a raft and you're sinking in that raft and there's a hole in your raft and you're bailing out water, that's where you get the term, I'm just keeping my head above water. And some of you, that is your life right now. You are just struggling to stay ahead. You're struggling to stay afloat. I mean, sometimes your head goes beneath the waves, you get some salt water, and then you pop out again and you can breathe, and that's your life right now. And you're just kind of struggling, and your raft is sinking, but you're working harder and harder and harder, and you go to this relationship and that relationship and this job and that job, and you're bailing out water, but the water keeps coming in faster than you can bail it out. What if then somebody came along and says, hey, I can help you. Great. If you say, just come in my boat, and I'll rescue you, I'll save you. That's awesome. So you abandon your raft. You get into their boat, and then you realize they have just as many holes in their boat as you do. They can't rescue you. They can't help you. They got good intentions, but they can't save you. So it is with every other religious figure, political figure, sport, you name it, all of them have holes in their boat, holes in their life of sin just like you. They can't rescue you because they're in the same boat you and I are in. You need someone to come along that says, I have no holes in my boat. Get in with me. I will rescue. I will dry you off. I will clean you up. That's what Jesus does. In fact, verse 16, what it says there is, is simply this, and it's really powerful. Maybe your translation of the Bible uses this big Bible theology word called justification. It's a big word. But here's what it means. And, and this is, I think a lot of even followers of Jesus don't really understand the full impact of this. So just, like, buckle your seatbelts, take some notes, because I hope this blows your mind. It's amazing. What he's really saying is, it's like everybody has, has massive credit card debt. All of us have credit card debt. Every time you leave your house, you're swiping your card. All your medical bills, all your mortgage, your student loans, everything is on that credit card. Your your credit history is wrecked. You're in massive amount of debt. And someone comes along and says, I will not only pay all of your debt off, but I will give you my perfect credit rating score, and I will give you unending access to my bank account, which is never-ending. That's what Jesus does. Listen, what, what... Romans 5 says, it's not just that Jesus forgives you of sins. And that's great. And if that's all Jesus did, that's more than enough. That's remarkable. Jesus comes along and and he doesn't just forgive our sins so then we're back at zero. No, no, no. That word means that God treats us the way he treats Jesus. So listen, when God sees you, if you're a follower of Jesus, he doesn't see your mistake. He doesn't see your failure. He sees the goodness of Jesus. He sees the love of Jesus. The hope of Jesus. When God looks at you. You need to know that today. He doesn't see you. He sees the goodness and perfection of Jesus in you. That's what that word means. So listen, to be a follower of Jesus, that's why it says it's way better, this gracious gift, it's way better than than what Adam did with his sin because Jesus not just forgives us, but he makes us perfect in God's sight. God looks at you and sees perfection. It's remarkable. I can tell my wife, I'm perfect, hon. She's, no, you're not. I am to God. That's good enough. Like, some of you will get that later. That's okay. Perfection. God sees Jesus in you. That should encourage you. That should blow your mind. That should change your life. Jesus doesn't just, oh, forgive me of my sins. Okay, yeah, that's like half of it. The other half is, and now I'm made perfect. All the good Jesus ever did, it's on me. All the miracle, all the tea, it's me. That's what God sees. He sees his son. He doesn't just forgive, he makes me his own. I am his son, you are his son and his daughter. That's what that word means. It's life changing, it is radical. Listen, religion comes along and says, if you work really hard, you can earn your way out of that debt. If you work really hard, you can patch the hole in your boat. Religion says if you come to church and read your Bible, and all those things are fine. But if you work really hard, you can do it. And then non-religious people say, what's the point? I'm so messed up. I've done so many horrible things. There's no way God would even love me or forgive me. And Jesus comes along and looks at the religious person and the non-religious person and says, you're both wrong. It has nothing to do with how good you think you are or how messed up you think you are, but everything to do with what I have already done for you. When I died on the cross and rose again, it's not about you. It's about me and what I've done for you. Some of us need to know that lesson. You can keep working hard and working hard. You're still just bailing out water. And you can just say, well, I'll just give up. I'll just drown. And Jesus says, no, it's not what you've done, but what I have already done for you. That's the good news of Easter. That's the message of Jesus in a nutshell. Listen, that's why Jesus is different. We said this last week. Jesus is different because every other religious figure, political figure, philosopher, everything else just comes along and says, you know, hey, um, if, if, if you work really hard and they just tell you that they love you, they lecture you to how much they love you. Jesus comes along and says, I'm not gonna lecture you, I'm not just gonna tell you, I'm gonna show you. Jesus is the only one that doesn't just tell you he loves you, he showed he loves you by willingly to die on the the cross, and be resurrected again in three days. That's why he's different. Muhammad didn't do that. Buddha didn't do that. No offense to them, but only Jesus did. You can follow someone that's dead or follow someone that's alive today. That's the message of Jesus. That's why he's different. Not only that, anybody that can predict their death and be raised again in three days, I'm going to follow them. Like That's what Jesus did. He's perfect. He's proof of God's love. Here's the thing, the big takeaway is this, choose life. Check out, the towards kind of the end of this section in Romans 5, 18 and 19, and I love this, this sums up the whole thing. But Romans 18 and 19 says this, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation to everyone, But Christ's one act of righteousness, meaning dying on the cross, brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. That's the message of Easter. Because, listen, choose life. When you disobey God, it's death in your relationship with God. I'd say this, it's death in relationships with people here on earth. It's death in your finances. Maybe that's why your dreams are dead. That's why you feel like your whole life is dead. You're just going through the motions. But the real you is just dead. When you disobey it, it's to death. But only Jesus gives life. So the choice that you and only you are left with, God won't force that on you. Why? God wants a relationship with you, not a robot. A robot, you have to do whatever it's programmed to do. I do not want, and I think any good parent would be this way, any good spouse, any good relationship. I don't want someone to love me because I force them to, because they have to, because if they don't, there's some consequence. I want my kids and my wife and all of you to love me for me because you just love me. So it is with God. God doesn't want you to love him because if you don't, you're going to go to hell. You know, the, the real thing of hell is that Jesus suffered hell on the cross so you don't have to. What is hell? It's God giving you exactly what you want here on earth. When you disobey God here on earth, in fact, this book we're talking about, Romans, in chapters 1 and 2, it says that. That for eternity, God doesn't send people to hell. We send ourselves. How? Because God says this, that if you reject me on earth, why do you need me for eternity? It's just true. It's just kind of logical. If you don't need me now, you don't need me then. But if you need me now, you can have me then. So it's not that God says it. We, we just say, God, I don't need you right now. My life's fine. And then when you die and are face-to-face with him, he'll say, if you didn't need me now, that's it. Hell is much, 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 much more than just fire and demons and all that bad stuff. I mean, that's part of it. Hell is eternal death. What do we mean? Eternal separation from God. Eternally separated from him forever. Jesus says, I love you too much to let you experience that. I will experience that for you. When Jesus said on the cross, God, why have you forsaken me? That's what he means. I'm being ripped from my father because I've taken all of your sin that you'll ever do and ever commit on me so you don't have to. I'll experience hell so you don't have to. Why? Choose life. Here's the amazing thing. What we just talked about in in Romans 5 and and in Genesis chapter 3 takes place in what we said in the very beginning, if you remember, the Garden of Eden. Now, if you fast forward several thousand years, Jesus, right before he dies, I mean, we're talking less than 10 hours before he's going to be nailed to a cross. Really about less than eight. Jesus is in a similar garden, only this garden is called the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's still there today, and I've been there, and it's an amazing place. But at the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus needed his disciples to pray and they fell asleep. At the Garden of Gethsemane, the person he kind of counted on betrayed him, named Judas. Think about this the Garden of Eden was utopia, it was a place of great beauty. But because they disobeyed, it's a place of death and pain. The Garden of Gethsemane was a place of pain and death for Jesus, but it's a place of life and love and joy and hope and purpose and forgiveness for me and you. Both of them, by the way, you have a choice. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they could choose to obey God or obey themselves. You have that choice today. God won't force you that. That's your choice. Jesus had a choice in the Garden of Gethsemane. He could obey God or do what he wanted to do. That's really what Romans 5 is getting at, that in this garden, the Garden of Eden, Adam chose to follow what he wanted to do and follow the enemy and and give in and disobey God. I mean, imagine that. Think about this, that if you're a parent, what if someone came along and whispered lies to your kids about you? How would that make you feel? When we went skiing, uh, we watched the movie Hook, and I remember when that movie came out, and it's a great movie, and Robin Williams, Peter Pan, and Dustin Hoffman plays Hook, Captain Hook. And, and, and in the movie Hook, there's, there's a really powerful scene where Dustin Hoffman Hook is trying to convince Peter Pan's son that Peter Pan is a bad dad. And he tells him, your dad doesn't love you like I love you. Your dad misses all your baseball games, but I'll never miss a baseball game. And he puts poison in his son's mind to turn the heart of his innocent son against his father. In the Garden of Eden, that's exactly what Satan did. And in your life and in my life, that's what he does. He puts poison in our heart and our mind. God doesn't really care about you or you wouldn't be going through this. If God really loved you, he would answer your prayer. If God really cared, you know what? God's holding out on you. And you have a choice like Adam did to give in to that or obey your father in heaven. Jesus had that same choice. Both of them have to do with a tree. The Garden of Eden, there was a a tree that produced that fruit. It probably tasted good but went down bitter. Jesus had the tree of the cross that was incredibly bitter but gives life and joy and peace to us. Here's the thing. Which garden are you living in? I know even a lot of religious people that live in the Garden of Eden. And they're working hard, and they're, but they still just can't get out and they're trapped. I know non-religious people, same thing. Listen, Jesus came to this earth, was a real human being, died a real death rose again three days later, the day that we celebrate today, 2,000 years ago. Why? So that you don't have to live in the first garden. You can live with Him in the second garden, the garden of joy, the garden of hope, the garden of peace, the garden of forgiveness, the garden of love. And when you live in that garden, God sees you the way He sees Jesus. He loves you the way He loves Jesus. What garden are you living in? Jesus died. So you could live with him in the second garden. But the choice is yours. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you that today is Easter. The day that you are alive. And we know that because we felt you in this place today. And We don't have to die to experience your love. We can experience it in this moment. We're thankful for Easter because you came and died as Romans 5 clearly tells us so that we don't have to live in that garden of Eden with Adam to disobey and the poison of sin infect us. You came and died and rose again so that we could live with you in the garden of Gethsemane, the garden of freedom and joy and hope and love and peace and forgiveness and purpose. We thank you for that. As we're just continuing to pray, all of us are praying right now. If that's you, you would say, Brian, That question you ask at the end, that's man—that's right where I'm at. What garden am I living in? And to be totally honest with myself, because it doesn't matter if you lie to other people. It matters if you lie to yourself. What garden am I living in? I've been living in the garden of disobeying that. No wonder I feel just dead inside. Everything I try to do just dies. The good news for you and for me is Jesus came so you could live with him. When God looks at you, He won't see your mistakes and your failures and your sin. He'll see the perfection of Jesus. If that's you right now, all that we ask you to do is simply raise your hand. You don't have to stand up. You don't have to come to the front. Right where you're at, though, raise your hand. And by the way, we're not asking you to join our church. We're not asking you to find religion. It's a relationship. But the choice is all yours. Which garden are you going to live in? If you want to live with Jesus. If you would just raise your hand right now, that's all we ask you to do. I'd love to pray with you. Thank you. See that? Anyone else? We're all just praying just a few more moments. I'm tired of living in the garden of death. I want to live in the garden of life. I want to choose life. If you just raise your hand. Let's all say this prayer together. Jesus, thank you for loving me. I believe you're God's son. I believe you died on the cross and rose again for me. I love you. From today on, I give my life to you. Forgive me, my sin. We are so thankful that you joined us on the podcast today. Be sure to follow us on social at Your Pathway Church or find us online at yourpathway.church. Have a wonderful rest of your week and stay tuned for more episodes coming up.